What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 217. And today we're sitting down with December Rose Waddleton. Uh, she wrote a book called The Church Can Go to Hell, Overcoming the Brokenness, Bitterness, and Bondage of Church Hurt. This is not your typical book. And I talk about this, we talk about this in the episode. Uh, because what I mean by that is that December didn't sit down to write this, to write a book where she had like a list of topics she wanted to address, right? And she just went through and presented the research and gave some ideas and whatever. Like sometimes like you would find in a typical book, but this book is very much like a memoir. And she ties into her story uh, these different things, these different topics that she wants to address. So the back of the book, really quick, I'm going to read it to you. A tell-all memoir of a pastor's journey from pain to purpose. In this shockingly candid book, December Rose unapologetically addresses controversial issues prevalent in toxic church culture that have damaged and repelled those truly seeking God but constantly coming up empty in the church. This real-life testimony paired with biblical commentary, come together to form this powerful guide to healing from the spiritual wounds of the church. It's time to expose the dark underbelly of the church, which often hides behind titles, rituals, and tradition in order to bring true deliverance and healing from the brokenness, bitterness, and bondage of church hurt within the body of Christ. Uh, she's not talking in this book about individual Churches. I feel like I don't want you to be put off by the title. We talk about that in the episode too. Because a lot of people are like, oh, it's just another person railing against the church. It's not that at all. Uh, she's addressing the, the, the system of the church, the problems that are, that are prevalent within the system of, of the church, not necessarily individual churches. You're not saying that all churches can go to hell. But just talking about this larger concept of the church that often is is like a is like a beast that has its tentacles in individual churches. He's talking about these problems that are at the root, and the need to cut them off, and cast them out, and deal with them. And she does it all within the context of her own story, of abuse and trauma and all different sorts of things. So, really, really good book and a really, really good conversation uh, on deck for us today. So I encourage you to go look for her uh, on Facebook and. Uh, Instagram. I'll put her links in the show notes. I'll be pick up her book. It's put out by Choir. It's available on Amazon. Uh, really, really good stuff. So anyway, I'll put the link in the show notes, link to my book in the show notes as well, Rethinking Everything. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It is a self-published masterpiece, <laughs> self-published work of art. It's available on Amazon, and it's the story of my spiritual journey, my own memoirish book uh, from a place of black and white fundamentalist thinking to this great wide world of color uh, that I find myself in today. Uh, also on the show notes, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. If you want to find community, if you want to find people who are like you, who are rethinking their faith, they're evolving, they're deconstructing, reconstructing, whatever it is you want to call it, whatever phase of the thing that you're in, uh, there's people who are just like you who listen to this podcast. We have about 44 Patreon supporters, and we're forming a community around Patreon. We have a Discord chat group. Uh, we're going to have monthly Zoom 
hang out, a uh, book club where we'll read books. Maybe we'll read a book like December's book one day or a Brian McLaren book and we'll we'll read it over the course of a, a few months and we'll gather on Zoom a couple of times. We'll talk about our takeaways and maybe even try to get the author on at the end to talk to us about the book and answer our questions and things like that. Uh, so we're just having a lot of different ways to meet people who are just like you to make friends because this can be a lonely, a lonely venture. Sometimes when you start rethinking your faith, uh, you sometimes lose friends or maybe friends you are really close to, you're not as close to anymore. And it can feel like a very lonely journey. So the idea of Patreon is to help us find friends. And regardless of how much you give, a dollar a month or a hundred dollars a month, everybody gets the same thing, which is entrance into this community and all the different aspects of it. So just because you give more money doesn't mean you get more. Uh, so the idea of Patreon is just to give what you can, to give what you feel, quote, led to. I hate to use that word because it's a very churchy word, but whatever your heart is inclining you to do, uh, Patreon is there to do it. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, uh, pushed you forward in your faith in any way, shape, or form, please consider going over to patreon.com slash whatifproject and uh, check out all the details. All these new things are, are launching uh, with the fourth four-year anniversary of the show, which is the end of December, so or end of uh, August. And so right now, uh, it'll be very vague as to what's what's going on, but there'll be more details later. But what I just told you is the quick synopsis of everything that's going on. So again, patreon.com slash whatifproject. Links are in the show notes. And now that's it. I'm going to shut up. Episode 217 with December Rose Waddleton, the church can go to hell. Buckle up, my friends. The patience paid off, now it's go time. go time No worries all around me, I'ma give mine Born in the Queen City, got the 4-9 Go to Green Trip, told me where the cosign So people doubted me, that's close to me, that's their regret When I make it, I'ma take it, all I do is rest Remain grinding, self-care, that's when I'm at my best A little crazy, that's when I'm at a test Feeling tuned, yeah we riding, yeah we rolling All the way to the ocean, uh. All right, so hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today we're sitting down with a brand new guest, uh, someone I've been really excited to introduce you to. Her name is December Rose, and she wrote a wonderful book called The Church Can Go to Hell, and it's subtitled Overcoming the Brokenness, Bitterness, and Bondage of Church Hurt. And so December, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to share this space with you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So uh, let me start off by saying that I, I love your book. And I, I really want to pause and say uh, thank you so much for writing it. And thank you so much for the vulnerability uh, that you share and that you show in it. Because uh, for our listeners, this is not like your typical book, right? Where an author kind of tackles a series of topics and then finishes and then moves on to writing the next book. I mean, it is that, but the topics you address are so well woven into your personal story of mm -hmm. abuse and trauma and really the bondage that you experience at the hand of the church and our church leadership. And sharing that is no easy task, but I think it's such an important one. So thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart uh, for sharing your heart and for your courage. Well, thank you. It definitely took some courage, that's for sure. I, uh, I really did spill all my own tea in this book <laughs> did and it starts off hot you come in right away <laughs> you're coming in on fire coming in on fire <laughs> that's it. That, that, the first paragraph i'm like oh it's going to be this kind of a book <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really one of those 
those books where you really will not know what you're getting into until you hit that first chapter and then with every chapter you still are like you, you might be you know like what what did I really get into <laughs> you know? yeah the, the foot's on the gas pedal the whole way through <laughs> the whole way through look all look all 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 deliverance all all you know everything's out there no breaks it's all right. gas no breaks in the book <laughs> that's right so I was really torn with how to go about this conversation to be honest with you because although I have I have so many questions that I want to ask after reading the book and there were so many things that I was curious about and wanting to know more, but I really felt, really feel like maybe the best place for us to begin is just to kind of give you the floor to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, about your story. And then I may have some follow-up questions for you. I might, I might pull some of those questions out that I had, but uh, because your book is so heartfelt and because there's so many things in it that you share that are so personal, I just kind of wanted to begin by handing you the mic, so to speak, so that you can kind of wade us into the waters of your story uh, give our listeners a good sense of what the book is about without giving away all the gems, of course. But uh, so that said, uh, maybe await us into the story uh, a little bit. Well, I I started, um, this book has been a good 20 something years in the making. Mm. Um, and it was, I finally had the courage to put it out there a couple of years ago, right when we were getting into the thick of the pandemic. Yep. And everybody was kind of grounded at the house. And so I you're felt, alone with your thoughts. <laughs> yep. Yep. Alone with my thoughts and my kids. Yep, <laughs> and, right. um, and I kept feeling the impression, you know, in my spirit to just go ahead and get this out yeah. while I'm home, while I have the time, while I'm not in traffic and, you know, that daily commute, that daily grind. And I really had time to focus on my life, my story, my journey, my testimony. Yeah. And so that's really how I got in, you know, started the process. But I started writing the book at least seven years ago or so. And um, I just wasn't ready to, to relive everything. So I started writing and then I just put it down for about five or seven years. And then, like I said, during the pandemic, when I was still and could focus. So I was like, I'm gonna pick this back up. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pick this back up. But my heart, um, I know a lot of people are probably turned off by the just the cover that the church can go to hell, you know, because <laughs> they equate the church with God. So they think I'm sending either God or his church to hell. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, not necessarily the case. <laughs> um, but I want to read a quote that I have at the very beginning of the yeah. book. And I think that that kind of summarizes where I'm at with this process and with this book and with my life. And it's by Hugh Hollowell. And it says, every time we use religion to draw a line to keep people out, Jesus is with the people on the other side of that line. Mm -hmm. And this book is talking to the people on the other side of the line. Mm -hmm. It's talking to the people who have either been rejected or uh, repelled or put out or any number of other things that happens um, when you show up to a church that has lost its way uh, as it concerns what is the commission and the assignment of the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And I think, I think you're right. There's a lot, of, a lot of times people equate the church with God. And I wanna ask you about that a little bit later, but one of the things that came to my mind and I wanted to ask you kind of up front is, the title of the of the book, like you said, it can be off-putting to some people because some people read that 
and think, oh, here comes another person railing against the church who's angry at the church and things like that. And without knowing, obviously, the context of your story, just by looking at the, the title, but a lot of the pushback I get with my podcast is that very thing is that, you know, well, you talk about the church. And so you're, you're slamming the individual churches as well, because you think you're talking about the system of the church, but you're talking about all churches and trying to, to help people understand that sometimes you, you might not be critiquing an individual church as much as you are the system that that church is a part of. And I think that's an important distinction for people to make. So I was wondering if that, if you could speak to that a little bit um, in terms of the title of your book for people who might read that and say, oh, here's another person railing against the church. Yeah, you're exactly on point with that. I am not, this book is not targeted at any specific church nor any specific denomination right it is it is targeted at the institution of religion in general the religious structure of the church yeah um as a matter of fact in the beginning of the book i said this book is dedicated to the church that's what i have on the dedication page and by that i mean the people of god the children of god yeah um the law you know the scripture says come all you who are heavy laden and you know i'm talking about those people the weary the broken the ones who know that if it had not been for the grace of god the ones who you know believe and have received um, the mercy of god for what it is i'm talking to the body of christ now the book is dealing with the organization Mm -hmm. that in my personal opinion tends to use christ as its mascot so it parades christ out in front of the people but behind the scenes it's doing, it's pulling like the Wizard of Oz, you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Where there's this big voice, this big rumbling voice, and I'll do this and I'll do that. And when you pull the curtain back, it's just this little dude pulling butt, pulling (laughs) levers. And, you know, to me, that puts me in the mind of what the church is, where they have put Christ out there as a mascot, you know, but when they're on that court and they're on that field, they're doing whatever the heck it is they want to do. They're not doing it the way God did it. They're not they're not loving the people the way Christ loved the people. Um, in one of the chapters of the book, it talks about the counterfeit veil and what that is dealing with is how the institution of religion has reconstructed the veil that was torn mm-hmm. and put up so many barriers between God and his people. They've gotten in the middle between God and his people where, where Jesus tore down every barrier, they, they have reconstructed it either by rules, regulations, rituals, traditions, um, behave, tried, forced or unforced, you know, implied behavior modifications and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that they have put between God and his people. Yeah. And that's what this book is about. That's yeah. what it's about. The yeah. institution, the organization, not any particular church. There's a lot of awesome churches out here. There's a lot of churches that are serving the community. There's a lot of churches that are the literal hands and feet of God in their community, their city. Just this past week between Sunday and today, I've been associated with three separate churches, three different denominations. I was invited by a friend to um, a first Christian church here that which is under the, the disciples of Christ. I'm trying to think of the denomination of it, but I went to the wrong church on accident, which was the church of Christ. Now the church of Christ <laughs> is very, I mean, 
I was raised Jehovah's Witness and I thought they were very conservative. Mm-hmm. This church is very, very, very conservative. Like no instruments, no, you know Nothing. what I'm saying? They don't believe in <laughs> instruments. So it's just like, we're standing, we're singing a hymn all together. And I was like, Ooh, I can't be in the right place. Don't I move don't when you're singing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now the people were beautiful and lovely and kind. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman who he had to be almost dang near seven feet tall, that was a greeter at the door. He was just like this jolly giant, you know, guy, just sweet. And you could tell that he just had a, he loved people. He had a heart for the Lord, but this mm-hmm. was a very conservative ministry. You could tell walking through the door mm-hmm. with the skirts and the long skirts and all the little kids are dressed up and the little boys, I've got the, the, the shirt and the tie, you know, you could tell <laughs> yep. very fundamentally. You could tell yep. good people though. Right. Mm-hmm. The next church I went to, I went to two churches. This was the, the other church I went to very relaxed. People were in there with jeans. The kids are wearing shorts and all this kind of stuff. They still had the ritual. So they had the candles and the stuff up there. And the, yeah. the young lady had the little candle thing that she walked up through, but she was wearing shorts and tennis shoes. <laughs> and so, you know, and then today I took my kids to a summer camp slash vacation Bible school at church of the redeemer, which is a Catholic church. Mm. And so just in, Two days, I've had an experience with three different denominations, three different churches, and there was love and light at all of them. Mm. Okay. So this is not about sending the church or any specific denomination to I encountered Christ at all three of those churches, three different denominations, three different types of worship. Yeah, that's so good. This is about when the church loses its way with the people of God and gets in the way of God. That's what it's about. Yeah. That's really, that's really, that's a really important distinction. And in the book, you, you obviously, like I said, you weave your story throughout the book and it, it opens up, like we said, it comes in a hundred miles an hour. Um, <laughs> but you, you start with your, your story. I was wondering if you could maybe without sharing all the details, because we want people to read it in the book, but if you could maybe to give some context to uh, some other questions I have for you, uh, maybe you could tell us a story a little bit about your experience with the church losing its way because we often hear about the bigger churches, right? We hear about the Hill mm-hmm. songs. We hear about the Bill Hybels type people. We hear about all these big name people. And we, we tend to think that that's where the scandals live. That's where the, the evil lives. But the fact is that that same evil can make its way through the yeah. veins of smaller churches. And you have that experience. So whatever, whatever amount of details you'd like to share in the story, uh, I would love to hear, hear it from you. Yeah, definitely the scandals are not, uh, they do not discriminate from the storefronts to the Superdomes. You're going to (laughs) find the scandals. Yeah. So in my, she go on a t-shirt storefront to Superdomes. Superdomes, Because we got it all right. You got the little place that's in the shopping uh, strip, you know what I'm saying? And, and the, usually the Pentecostal, like holiness, like, you know what I'm saying? And then you got the non-denominational 5,000, 10,000 member churches with all the bells and whistles. They really having a Super Bowl concert like every Sunday. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You never yeah. see the same face twice most of the time. That's right. um, so it's everywhere in between. And there's a story in every one of those churches, I guarantee you, mm. of somebody who has came to th- those doors looking for Christ and encountered um, chaos, crisis, trauma instead. I am, I, I do not believe that I am any exception or any anomaly in that matter. Mm. But with me um, coming into, leaving out of the kingdom hall, my mother left the kingdom hall when I was about 13, 14. Um, you know, she, w- she was tired of 
being counseled to stay with her husband who was abusive, who was a drug addict. Mm. You know, they were counseling her to stay and all that other good stuff. And God hates divorce and all that. And she also thought they were a bit prejudiced. You know, mm. I was raised in a small town in between Seattle, Spokane called Moses Lake. And we were only one of two or three other black families in the church. And it agitated her to knowing that they could like never, we went there for years and they could never remember our names. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> she That agitated her to knowing that they would always, call us her kids by the other family the one other family's kids that just bothered her i think that would bother anybody sure um so i think she was feeling like we were like the token blacks of mm-hmm. that church so anyway she left out of there and we ended up she just stopped going to church altogether but us kids we wanted to go to the church all our friends was going to <laughs> which was the baptist church down the street because all mm-hmm. our friends was going there and um it's there that you know my life changed forever. You know, I, the pastor that was there, I, I, he came to the church when I was 14 and he basically singled me out and started grooming me from that age forward, you know, um, until I ended up in an improper sexual relationship with him. And then I ended up marrying him at 19. Mm. So you got to think about from 14 all the way up to 19, this man had an overarching presence in my life. And then I finally divorced him at like, I think it was 23 or 24. I was married to him for five years. And um, that changed the course of my life. It also shaped how I view churches and pastors. Like I'm skeptical of all pastors. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm less skeptical now that I'm grown and I've grown in God and I've grown in grace and I've forgiven myself and forgiven others. And that's a constant process, but I'm always, they get the side eye for me, like right away. I'm like, what you finna do? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and what if you nice to me, I'm like, what you gonna want on the other side of this kindness? You know what I'm right, saying? Right. And so, um, like I said, I think that I'm not an exception. I think that no matter what church you go to, as hard as they may try, there's going to be some type of scandal somewhere. And it's not, it's because we're human, right? And humans do stupid stuff. The problem is how the church responds to it. And I think the church sometimes treats pastors like the law law enforcement treats police officers. And let me explain what I mean by that. I think the majority, most of police officers are good, are kind, are not racist, not prejudiced, and literally sign up every day to go into harm's way to serve and protect the people. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I ain't for that defund the police crap and all that. Actually, they need more money. Give them more money, but make sure it's going to the right things. Also, give them mental health counselors and behavior specialists and crisis management people and community advocates. Also do that. So it just needs to be more comprehensive, right? Don't take away any money, make it more comprehensive, more functional. Don't send somebody in to protect when you need to send somebody in to serve. Don't send somebody in to serve when you need to send somebody to protect because the person that's going into a service situation with a protection mindset is going to kill the person having a mental health crisis. And that's because that's what they were trained to do. So, you know, they just need an overhaul in that way. So it's the same thing with the church. And the thing that happens is when... When, a, when there is a bad apple with law enforcement, the, the reflex of the organization as a whole is to protect the organization, mm-hmm. 
to protect the organization. And thereby we give the, the, the officer immunity and we throw up all these barriers to them, um, you know, actually entering into a process of accountability because we got to protect the organization because they represent the organization. If we say they're bad, we're saying we're all bad. So there's this thing that puts the victim, that re-victimizes the victim. Right. because they seek to protect the organization over the person. The church operates the same way. Most pastors are good. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I believe most pastors um, hearken to the call of the Lord and yield to the Holy Spirit. And their, their heart is for the people in the community to see people healed and delivered and restored and to build up community centers and to go out and serve the people. I believe that in my heart. Mm -hmm. But when there is that pastor or that priest or that youth minister or whoever that has victimized somebody in the church, the church's reflex is to protect the organization. Right. So they cover it. They don't fire the person. They remove them from one church and send them to another church to victimize somebody. They silence the victim and try to counsel the victim not to go to the post. The whole thing is surrounded, is, 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 is focused toward let's protect the image yeah. of the organization versus let's protect the image of Christ. Yeah. Because if your objective is to protect the image of Christ, you'll be victim focused. You'll be like, what can we do about this? How can we rectify this? How can we restore this person? Not you be quiet, you hush, we're going to put you under and you over here, let's clean up your image in the public. Let's do uh, damage control for you. And that is the issue that I have with the church as an institution. Yeah. The institution is always the focus of the institution. That's right. That's right. You have a quote early on. I was actually going to read it for our listeners. It's on page 19 and you say, churches would rather keep up a public front in the midst of a scandal than address, root out and destroy the perpetrator of the scandal. That's and right. in their effort to keep up the facade, they make the victim the scapegoat. I yes. thought that was so powerful and i guess the question is like wh why do you think that is like why where i mean i know it's the human condition we talked about that right it's the human condition but to be system focused versus victim focused is the is the yes. is the big issue and i'm wondering if you have any insight or any thoughts as you've kind of processed through your own story about like why why does this happen? Like, I, I often wonder, like, when I hear these stories, whether it's a story like yours or a bigger story, like a Hillsong type thing, and it's all over the media, my, my question is always, like, how, how can we read the stories of Jesus? How can we see the way that he clearly sided with the victim? He clearly stood and sat in the mud and the dirt with the oppressed. Yeah. He, he clearly lowered himself he didn't elevate himself to this place of power he wasn't looking to protect the temple or the system whatever no. whatever was there that he day flipped the he flipped the tables over he was more than happy to go in there and make a scene but i'm wondering like what how have we lost that and how do we come to a place where we justify not how, how do we come to a place where we justify scapegoating the victim instead of siding with the victim like christ like where 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 have we gone how has this happened um, I think because we have, we forgot that we're the body and we become buildings, uh, you know what I'm saying? And you handle bodies and buildings differently, right? Yeah. So 
I don't handle my body the same way I handle my house. Yeah. No, I had I don't have to feed my house. I do have to keep the lights on. I have to keep the electricity on. I have to keep the water on. I have to pay taxes. I have to do all that stuff. Yeah. And this, the problem with the church is they've forgotten that they're the body and they right. they are focused on maintaining that building. Yeah. So they understand a scandal could could translate to lower offerings because people may flee the building right. and when people flee the building they take their bank accounts and their pocketbooks with them yeah okay yep. and they're focused on the building so much that they neglect the body yeah and to me that is the issue and when you're when you're trying to protect the building by the building i just mean the institution altogether you're always going to neglect the body that's inside the building if your focus is the building so you see somebody uh um they see the victim as a threat to the building, yeah. right? So when something happens, if a young girl is molested, if a young boy is uh, raped, if uh, somebody misappropriates money or something, they see the victim as having thrown rocks at the window and busted the window out. Yeah. And immediately they're, they want to quickly repair the window and send that person away. Yeah. Because you have exposed the building. Yeah. You have exposed the interior of the building. And it, it, I want to read something Um a lot of people ask me, where do I get the title of the book? Mm -hmm. You know, how did you come at the title? What made you call your book, The Church and Go to Hell? <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot, you know, because I, you know, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. <laughs> but I get it from Matthew chapter 23, 1 through 33. And for those who believe that uh, Jesus himself spoke in the red letters. So these are the red letters. The red letters. <laughs> these are red letters in the King James. Like, oh, here we King go. James, Preach. You know, the red letters. <laughs> And so that when, when they put them in red, it's like, this is the Christ speaking, right? right. And in Matthew chapter 23, 1 to 30, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read the end of it. And it says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of law and you Pharisees? And this is the NLT, but in the King James Version, it says, woe unto you. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Now that's Jesus talking. Mm. That's the red letters Yeah. in Matthew chapter 23. And that's where I got the title, the church can go to hell. He's saying, you look good. Oh, y'all look good now. Y'all keep up these appearances. You got your collar on, you got your robes. Y'all are all dressed up, shined up, shining like new money on Sunday. Y'all putting on these super bro productions. You know what I'm saying? You got a mega dome that you done bought. Y'all got 10,000 members and everything, but it's full of dead people's bones. Yeah. And hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he says, How will you escape hell? How will you escape hell? That's what he said, not to the world, but to the church. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what I'm saying in this book to the church. And the operative word in the title is can. The church can go. I ain't saying they're going. I'm right. just saying you can, though, if you keep up this foolishness. Yeah. <laughs> you that's can right. go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I think that's where it's at. They, the church uh, tends to lean toward self preservation. Yeah. Versus soul preservation. That's right. And there's that, a difference. Yeah. And I think that really, I mean, that. That even brings us to a whole nother situation, I think, within the church is about the, the things that church leadership wants and doesn't want discussed in the pulpit, doesn't want mm-hmm. or want shared in the pulpit. And I remember I pastored a church for three years and I was just out of seminary. So I was like 20, I don't know, 25, 26, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I only lasted three years because like, okay, this, is, this is in my world. <laughs> this is not good. It's not something I can do. But, you know, I remember the, the pressure as a pastor where I wanted to get up every Sunday and deliver a message to people that was going to inspire them. Right. Because as the pastor, like I know that I went out for coffee and went to the diner with people to hear their stories and talk to them about their life and just mm-hmm. knowing about, you know, one guy's son committed suicide and mm-hmm. we had another family that was really struggling with money and different things like that. And so I want to preach a message that's going to, you know, inspire these people want to, to, to send them out into the world to the week again, you know, equipped to feel like they can make it through another week. And just the pressure to, it was a reformed church. It was a very old Dutch reformed church, which is a whole nother story in itself, but the pressure to preach about that to this, <laughs> right? Listen, I got a story. It's a journey. <laughs> I got a story. I gotta send you my book. I got a story. Yes. But uh, anyway, so just the pressure to preach about like hell, the pressure to preach about, you got to touch on all the things from the, the catechism, you know, all the different doctrines that are important to the church and just reading this stuff going, this isn't going to help anybody, you know, this, no. but, but they say, well, you have to preach this stuff because you have certain people who are part of this denomination who bring the money. And if they don't hear these things preached every Sunday, they're going to take their money somewhere else. Now you start feeling a pressure as a pastor to not be true to yourself in the pulpit, but to to, to speak about things that you don't feel are the best for for your sheep. But even more so today, deep pockets. Yeah. I mean, even more so today. I mean, now you have people now you got to talk about racism. You've got to talk about gun violence. You've got to talk about there's a whole lot of things that come up in sermons and just the pressure again to feel like you have to cater to the different people who are in the pews who are bringing the money is a lot a lot of pressure and that's just something i feel like we've lost the plot another instance of how we've lost the plot oh yeah oh yeah anytime um the pockets of the people are able to persuade your per- how you walk in your purpose you've lost the way lost it and there's so many pastors in the pulpit that allow the pockets of the people to persuade them in their purpose. Yeah. And they have lost the way. And some of them don't even know they lost the way. They're also in self-preservation mode. They don't want to get voted out. The church is their whole entire identity. The church pays all their bills. The church, you know, is the way that they sustain their family. And so they feel like they're trapped too. Some of them, and they don't know how to get out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And some of them aren't even interested in getting out because they, they live for that world. That's right. There's a lot of pastors and preachers who don't even have an identity outside of the pulpit. They don't, they don't know how to just be a person. Yeah. yeah. And that's a shame. Like if you don't call them by their title, they get offended mm. because they don't have an identity separate 
and apart from that pulpit. That's right. And that's yeah. too bad. All right. So let's say, let's say there's a pastor listening right now. And let's say that that pastor, he, she, they, let's say the pastor wants to make uh, their church a safe place where the type of stuff that we're talking about um, doesn't happen. It's a place mm -hmm. where people can come and they can be safe. Maybe that pastor is a pastor of a larger church. Maybe it's a smaller storefront mom and pop kind of church, you know, a smaller congregation. But what words of wisdom would you put on that pastor's plate um, as they kind of leave this podcast and want to continue with the goal of building a safe place for their, their community? Given all your experience, all the things that you have seen and heard, all those things, what would be your advice to that person if they were on the mic today? My advice would be this. First of all, if you are in a place where um, the governing body gets to dictate what you preach over the Holy Spirit, then you need to pray about exiting stage left. Mm. Because if you are truly called to preach the gospel and you believe in your heart that you're called to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit should be the one that dictates what you say across the pulpit, not the people with deep pockets. That's right. And that takes courage, especially if the church is responsible for your financial well-being. But I would encourage you to trust God. Yeah. The God that you say you believe in, the God that you believe called you, the God that sustains you, the God that woke you up in your right mind and gave you the ability to live, move, and have your being. I encourage you to trust God. And then if you are in a church where you have the liberty to preach the gospel as God has given it to you, then I offer you Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. And I'm going to read the whole thing. And it says, oh, no man, anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, all are briefly comprehended in this saying, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So anytime you feel pressured to preach sin over salvation and the love of God, the love of Christ, the unconditional and unmerited grace and favor of God, look to the scriptures for guidance. Look to the life of Christ. I have no need nor desire to preach anyone into or out of hell. I believe the sum total of my purpose as a believer in Christ is to inform people through my words and through my actions and through my service that Jesus loves them mm -hmm. and immeasurably like beyond all comprehension and wherever you're at and whatever you're doing, he loves you right there. Sure. Not after you put the pipe down, not after you come off the street, not after you come out of the club, not after you get married because you shacking and living together without the benefit of marriage or whatever they like to say, <laughs> not after you in your same sex relationship and go through conversion therapy right now, mm -hmm. right this second. Mm -hmm. And he can't love you any more than he loves you right now. Mm 
He can't make any more room for you in the kingdom than he already made for you on the cross. That's the message. That's right. That's the gospel. And that gospel is so good. It was rejected by the church then. And in many instances, it's being rejected by the church now. That garment has always, the garment of the gospel has seemingly always been too big for the church. And they were offended by it then and they killed Jesus for it. And they're offended by it now and they reject and repel people from the church now because of it. But if you love God for real, and if you believe God called you in your heart, this is the good news. That's right. That Jesus loves you right now. That's right. Right where you are, whatever you're doing. Yeah. No strings attached. Yeah. That is the good news. Yeah. That's the good news. Mm. That's so good. And I think that when you find yourself feeling oppressed or you find yourself feeling crucified, for lack of a better word, because of preaching that gospel, I think you mm-hmm. can begin to realize that you're in good company because, I mean, that's the message, like you said, got him killed 2,000 yeah. years ago. And they can handle the, it. The church and the empire today is still unable to handle it in many in many ways. So that's that's a really good perspective. Yeah. yeah. So the last too small for the, yeah. great, the bigness. You know, exactly. the, the, the church's hands are too small to carry this gospel. We try to take this way. this big message and jam it into a little container of structure yeah. and hope that it's gonna fit in there. But and then put it. instructions on the container for how to access it. <laughs> exactly. Step one, right? Yeah. <laughs> we got Say a 12 prayer, step program. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So last <laughs> last question for you. Um, after the uh, abuse, after the trauma you've experienced at the hands of the church, I'm curious, um, have, have you ever struggled to love God as a result of that trauma? And I ask that because I've had a good amount of people tell me that sometimes after growing up in the church, like spending like, your whole life in the church, having the church be kind of the main place where you experience God, many people have said to me that it's often very difficult for them to separate who God is from what they have experienced in the church at the hands of, of God's quote leaders. So for many people, it's like the two church and God are almost one and the same. It's hard for them to untangle that in their mind. So my question is, has that ever been even a small struggle for you? And uh, what would you say to the person who struggles with that today, who's experienced something in the church? Maybe they've voiced it. They've gotten no support. Maybe they've kept it to themselves, but they're really struggling to kind of separate God from the tangled web of a mess they have regarding the church uh, and their brain and their heart. I can say every, every once in a while during the most traumatic times in my life, uh, the, the thought has creeped up on me, you know, like, why would God let that happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And, um, but the love that I have for God himself has always overpowered those thoughts. I won't say that they didn't come. Um, but the fact that I have experienced so many wonderful things mm-hmm. concerning the Lord and encountered God in so many inexplicable ways, um, it, it was it's hard for me to live in that place. I'm not saying I haven't visited that house, mm-hmm. but it was hard for me to remain in a place where I put God and, you know, I separated myself from God. Mm-hmm. And but there is a there is a chapter, a subchapter in the book called Triggered. Mm-hmm. And I deal with. Uh, that with people who have gone through so much in the church or at the hands of people who claim to represent the church and God that they can't, you know, they either have separated themselves 
from the church mm-hmm. and had and and tried to pursue a relationship with God, or they separated from themselves from God and rejected the church as well. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read us the end, a small portion of that, if that's okay. Please, yeah, please do. Of the chapter triggered, and it says, if you're reading this and you separated yourself from God on any level as a result of church hurt, please let this book be your invitation directly from the father to try the source. God is not what they did. God is not what they said. Forgive God for not showing up when you thought he should. Forgive God for not answering the prayer. Forgive God for letting you go through that. Forgive God for allowing it to happen. Please forgive the God you thought he was and give yourself permission to try and see the God he is. Mm And that's the invitation I have for the people, because one thing we got to understand, people say, well, if there's a God, why did he let all this happen? But we also need to understand is life happens, mm-hmm. right? Right now you got this crazy lunatic Putin is over there invading a country that was minding their own business, you know, for political gain, for whatever he's trying to get out of it, whatever wicked motive he has in his heart. And it, it, it's hard to watch something like that and be like, where is God? And I hate, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I was praying like, Lord, let that man's heart just stop beating. Let it yeah. just, let him not wake up. Yeah. You know, he's causing so much wickedness in the earth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we wonder why, you know, things are happening. But we also have, if we, if we believe in, if we believe the word as it is written, then God gave dominion to man in this earth. Yeah. And the things that are happening, man is doing, God is not doing. Yeah. And we also have to sort through our uh, our interpretation and our perception of what God is. God is not a puppeteer, you know, where uh, he's the all the world is a marionette and he's pulling strings and levers and making this and making that happen. You know what I'm saying? The world life is life. Shit happens. I don't know if I could cuss on this show, Go but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Shit happens. The Bible has a scripture that says that it's not, doesn't say that it says it rains on the just and the unjust. That's right. And that is to me, the December international version is shit happens. <laughs> and so life happens. Yeah. Unfortunate things happen. Miscarriages happen. Divorces happen. Tragic accidents happen. People lives are taken mass shootings in schools happen there are things that could be done about some of that stuff but sometimes there's nothing that could be done and it is easy for us sometimes to say if there was a god why that okay but god is not responsible for that wickedness he's not Man is responsible for that. And anything and everything man has anything to do with is subject to have the propensity to fail, to have the propensity to have wickedness tied to it and foul motives, to have error. Even in the scripture where people have taught for years and I believe for years, oh, the Bible is the infallible word of God. No, the hell it is not. (laughs) It's a lot of things, but it's not that. Yeah. Anything that man has anything to do with is fallible. It's it's extremely fallible. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There's there's political books in there. There's propaganda in there. There's all kinds of stuff in there. The people who trans the men who translated try to write women out of it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. And this is why it's important and why I give the invitation in this book for people to try God himself, not the version of him you thought he was, not the version of him you were taught, not the version of him that you experienced at the hands of people who claim to be operating under his leadership, but have no relationship with him at all. Not that God. Yeah. But the God that loves you, the God that created you, the God that um, wants nothing but good and has nothing but good planned for you, the God that loves you for real, you know, try that, try that one, try and see that one. And people, when they hear the phrase, please forgive God, what do you mean forgive God? (laughs) (laughs) How we need to forgive God for anything, not necessarily the, the. God himself and the God that we serve and believe in, but the version of him that lets you down, Mm. the version of him that wasn't there when your stepfather was coming into your room at night and violating your body and taking your innocence, the version of him that let your child drown, the version of him um, that allowed you to have a miscarriage, whatever the caricature of him that you created in your mind that says that nothing bad should ever happen to you. That's right. And he should have kept that from happening. Forgive that version of God. Yeah. And try the God that he is. That's right. Yeah. I had an experience. I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, but I had this experience in school where I took a class on uh, soul care and we did a, a session on inner healing. I'm sure you're familiar with that, that term. And uh, basically we got into a small group we had to share our life story, put it all out on the table. And then the professor, whoever was in our group, kind of the leader would, and the students would get around us and they would pray and they would ask Jesus to show us where he was in the midst of these circumstances. I'll never believe, I'll never forget it, but all my life I've, I've, there was stuff that happened to me when I was a kid that I've always struggled with. And I spilled it all out on the table in this inner healing session. And I always felt that like, you know, God, why didn't you stop this stuff from happening? Or where were you? Why weren't you there? You know, I have all these theology degrees and stuff that tells me you were there, but to me, it doesn't seem like you were there, all this stuff. So they're praying for me and they're praying about this specific instance. And the professor asked me, you know, you're, you're in this place now where you were and this, this, this stuff happened to you. Where is Jesus? And it was, everything in my mind is black. But then all of a sudden I got this picture that Jesus was holding me the entire time. And for me, that like totally was like a radical change of how I viewed God from that point. Because like you said, I I saw him, I used him as a puppeteer pulling all the strings. Well, God, why aren't you pulling my string over here to help me get out of this situation? But in reality, God isn't pulling the strings. He's, he's with us in our suffering. And I think that that's, that also changed how I view the cross because when I look at the cross, now I see God, on the cross, joining us in our suffering, the suffering that we often endure at the hands of humanity and people who put us on those, on those crosses. That's right. That's right. And I, you reminded me of something of a a part in the Bible where I'm talking about abortion and Mm -hmm. this is timely with Roe v. Wade getting overturned and all that. And you said, where is he at, you know, in all this? Um, And if you don't mind, I want to read a little bit of that part out of the book. Um, and it's, I don't want to read too much of it, but I want to read enough of it where people get the idea. Leave a teaser, leave a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, I'll give a little bit. And before this, what I'm about to read, I'm talking about how I believe that God has always been pro-choice mm-hmm. from the beginning. He has never forced himself 
on anybody. And I say that I also do not believe God intended for Christians to use government systems to enforce scripture. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the most you got out of Jesus when he walked the earth, what they would ask him about, there's like render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, pay your taxes. I ain't got nothing else to say about that. You know, (laughs) he didn't get into it. Easy. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so I wonder why, you know, to me, Christians are like, have you seen those, those commercials of duck, duck, go? And they're like, you go to the store and Google or whoever is watching you and you go from there to the bank and they're watching you and they're taking notes of everything you're doing. And the church is like that. They're like, they're in your bedroom, they're in your bathroom, they're at the clinic with you, they're on your job, they're in the voting booth, they're everywhere trying to tell you what to do. (laughs) You know, and they need to mind their own damn business and find some business. But um, I deal with the abortion situation. I want to read a little bit of that. It says the church is ridiculously hypocritical when it comes to this. We want to shout separation of church and state when it's convenient. Mm -hmm. But when we want to regulate who people marry or whether they should have children, we want the church to be the state. Mm -hmm. There is no example of Jesus engaging in politics to force unbelievers to accept him as savior or yield to the commandments of God. Yet that is what so many Christians are doing. And it has gotten so bad that there are there have been self-proclaimed Christians picketing, intimidating, and screaming at Planned Parenthood staff and clients, threatening to bomb abortion clinics or trying to assassinate doctors in the name of saving babies. Right. We have to step back and ask ourselves, is this what Jesus would do? If Jesus were walking the earth today, would he be outside on the picket line with the religious fanatics drenched in fake blood, screaming baby killers at the top of his lungs? Or would he be sitting beside the 15-year-old rape victim in the waiting room, holding her hand, not speaking, not judging, simply reassuring her with his presence alone that neither life nor death can separate her from his love? And I think about all that the church is doing in general, we talk about the institution of religion in the church and how very little of that, especially in the political climate we're in, you got a lot of churches that are preaching um, nationalism over the pulpit versus the gospel. Mm-hmm. They'll literally tell you, if you didn't vote for this particular candidate, you aren't hearing from God. Yeah. You know, it's craziness right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's madness right now in a lot of these churches. And I think about how very little they are representing Christ himself and how very little of what they're doing Christ would do. As a matter of fact, I believe that if Christ will walk in the earth, he would get kicked out of the church and be crucified in the public, just like he was back then. It will be the same shit on a different day in a different era in a different century. That's right. 2000 plus years later, same, same old, same old, except for they wouldn't put him on the cross. He'd just be part of the council culture and they would cancel him. That's right. Like the, like the Pharisees and Jews and religious leaders counseled him on the cross so many years ago. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Well, December, we are just about out of time, but this has been uh, a really great conversation. So thank you for taking the time to join me and uh, thank you for your work and for your story. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to meeting you in person one day. And anytime you want, I'll be willing to come back. 
I was say, we, I feel like we have, I feel like we just scratched the surface. We have a lot of other rabbit holes we could go down to. to oh together. yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, it, it's never ending. This is truly Alice in Wonderland when it comes to this faith walk. That's for sure. So uh, real quick, where's the best place for people to go online to interact with you uh, and your work? Where are you most active in the virtual world? I am on Facebook under December Rose, and that is D-E-S-I-M-B-E-R, December Rose. I also have a ministry that I need to be more regular with, but I do minister there at Uncommon Gospel, Uncommon Gospel on Facebook. So I'm at December Rose on Facebook and Instagram, Uncommon Gospel on Facebook and Insta- not Instagram, but Facebook and YouTube. And I do something called the 90 second sermon from time to time on Uncommon Gospel. And real quick, what I got that from is Peter when Peter had the vision and God lowered that sheet with the animals in it and told him to kill it. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's common. You know, I'm not going to do that. And God was like, don't call anything I blessed common. That's right. And then from there, he went to go minister to the house of, I believe Cornelius and the whole household was saved, but he was like, I'm not going to do that. And so I got uncommon gospel from that because this, this gospel of love and acceptance and this, um, unconditional um covering of the blood of christ that i believe is unconditional yeah um is so uncommon to this day as long as much as it has been preached and as many translations as we have had and for as much of the stories have been passed down is still so uncommon that is still being rejected by the church that's right but for those of us who will hear and receive let he that has an ear let him hear what the spirit of the lord is saying to the church and what is he saying he's saying i love you so much more than you could ever know oh taste and see that the lord is good amen. he is so good amen <laughs> amen well i'm going to put the links to that in the show notes and what a, what a note to end on thank you december thank you everyone for an exchange trying to make a little change coming up on the tray take that to the bank yeah make sure you maintain little money make you dance climbing up on the chain yeah number one on the ranks everyone for an exchange trying to make a little change coming up on the tray take that to the bank yeah make sure you maintain little money make you dance climbing up on the chain yeah number one on the red here go my plate i collect i'm taking whatever i get I'm constantly chasing the check, make sure my mental is check. One thing I can never forget, I'm seeking for financial freedom, I'm set. Can settle for nothing or less, I'm not the one to finesse. About to be primes, know the fish shade, ignore the dodge. Over here bopping, now they came up and I'm moving these columns. One click, then boom, money transforms zoom. Bank accounts start to bloom, no need to assume. Everyone for an exchange, trying to make a little change. Coming up on the tray. Take that to the bank, yeah. Make sure you maintain. Little money make you dance. Climbing up on the chain, yeah. Number one on the ranks. Everyone for an exchange. Trying to make a little change. Coming up on the train. Take that to the bank, yeah. Make sure you maintain. Little money make you dance. Climbing up on the chain, yeah. Number one on the ranks. Celebrate, it's a good day, I'm getting paid On a new level, it's in my face Throwing it bags, I need to save, it's on lock Washing my back as it's hot The numbers, I'm moving the stock No time to waste on the clock I'm hitting the big on my way to the top Make sure my family are good I'm sharing the work cause it's equal to lot We got got heads in the pot The motto is we all we got Huh, 
The ones who doubted do everything that I forgot. It's all love. I'm in it to win it. Either you win it or not. Ever want for an exchange? Trying to make a little change. Coming up on the tray. Take that to the bank, yeah. Make sure you maintain. Little money make you dance. Climbing up on the chain, yeah. Number one on the ranks. Everyone for an exchange, trying to make a little change. Coming up on the train, take that to the bank, yeah. Make sure you maintain. Little money, make a dance. Climbing up on the chain, yeah. Number one on the ranks.